It's Tuesday, August the 11th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, Lebanon's cabinet resigns and McDonald's sues ex-CEO. First, the world in brief. Lebanon's Prime Minister Hassan Diab and his entire cabinet resigned amid growing protests over the negligence that led to last week's massive explosion in Beirut. The blast killed at least 220 people and left thousands homeless. When it is formed, the new government will need to reckon with the profound anger among Lebanese over corruption and mismanagement in the country. Svetlana Tikhanovskaya, who was supposedly knocked out of Belarus's presidential election, refused to accept the result. President Alexander Lukashenko, often called Europe's last dictator, claimed 80% of the assumed-to-be-rigged vote, obviating a runoff and ensuring no end to his 26-year rule. Throngs of Belarusians took to the streets for a second night of protest. Police met them with violence. China announced retaliatory sanctions against 11 Americans, including Senators Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, following similar measures by the Trump administration on several Hong Kong officials over the implementation of the territory's harsh new national security law. Yesterday, Jimmy Lai, a media tycoon and pro-democracy campaigner, was arrested under the law for colluding with foreign forces. Chinese fighter jets briefly crossed the midline in the strait separating mainland China from Taiwan, where they were tracked by Taiwan's air force. It is just the third such crossing since 2016 and came as America's health secretary, Alex Azar, made the highest level official American visit to Taiwan since America recognized the People's Republic in 1979. McDonald's is suing Steve Easterbrook, a former chief executive. The fast food chain alleges that he lied to the board about sexual relationships he had with three employees and approved a stock grant worth hundreds of thousands of dollars to one of them. McDonald's, which agreed to dismiss Mr. Easterbrook in November without cause, wants to recover his 40-odd million dollar severance package. A court in San Francisco ruled that Uber and Lyft, paragons of the gig economy, must reclassify their drivers in California as employees. A state law enacted in January makes it harder to classify them as independent contractors. But the ride-hailing giant's business model, already under strain, seems to depend on it. Both said they would appeal the ruling immediately. Reported global cases of COVID-19 neared 20 million Monday, with the United States, Brazil and India together accounting for roughly half of total infections. At least 730,000 people with the virus have died. It took nearly six months from the first reported cases in Wuhan province in China for the world to reach 10 million infections. That tally doubled in 43 days. And editor's note... Yesterday, we wrote that Australia had suffered 100 COVID-19 deaths in a day. This should have been in a week in the state of Victoria, the heart of the current outbreak. The country's deadliest day saw 19 deaths all in Victoria. Apologies. And now, here's today's agenda. Among friends, Pompeo visits Central Europe. America's Secretary of State begins a tour of Central Europe today, visiting Austria, the Czech Republic, Poland and Slovenia, which last week he called all great friends of America. 
His tour will focus on security issues from energy to defence. In the Czech Republic, Mike Pompeo will meet Andrei Babis, the Prime Minister, and will discuss the Three Seas Initiative, an American-backed forum made up of 12 Central European countries established in 2015 to improve energy, transport and digital infrastructure. Countering Russian and Chinese influence in the region will also be on the agenda. In May 2020, Mr. Pompeo and Mr. Babis agreed on a joint declaration to strengthen cooperation on next-generation 5G networks, which includes looking at whether suppliers were subject to undue foreign influence. America and Poland signed a similar declaration last year. With leaders in the region receptive to his warnings, Mr. Pompeo can expect a warm welcome. Second time lucky, Peru's new government. Peru's new Prime Minister, Walter Martos, heads to the country's Congress today to seek a vote of confidence. Last week, President Martín Vizcarra's previous prime ministerial choice, Pedro Cateriano, did the same. But instead of the expected routine approval, lawmakers balked at both his plans for health care, to combat COVID-19, and his proposed boost to mining to reignite the economy. The first Prime Minister in Peru's history to lose a vote of confidence at the start of a term, Mr. Cateriano was forced to step down. The President asked Mr. Martos, a retired Army General and Mr. Cateriano's chosen Defence Minister, to replace him. He will present a similar set of policies to fight the COVID-19 pandemic and stimulate Peru's stalled economy. But he is less abrasive than Mr. Cateriano, which could make him more palatable to Congress. Apple crumble, tightening the screws in Hong Kong. When Carrie Lam, Hong Kong's chief executive, unveiled a suffocating national security law on July 1st, she promised Hong Kongers would continue to enjoy the freedom of speech. But it has not taken long for the law, imposed by the Chinese Communist Party without the approval of Hong Kong's legislature, to send a chill through a once feisty city. On Monday, Jimmy Lai, founder of a popular tabloid, Apple Daily, was arrested for colluding with a foreign country. A campaigner for democracy in Hong Kong, he had long been a thorn in China's side. It might be that a letter that Mr Lai ran on the front page in May riled China's leaders even more. In it, he called on President Donald Trump to help save Hong Kong. One immediate question is where the tycoon will be tried. Under the terms of the law, trials for serious offences can be switched to the mainland and held under Chinese jurisprudence. Winging it, SoftBank's results. SoftBank's shareholders will hope that better days have come when the Japanese tech investor reveals quarterly results today. At SoftBank's last results announcement in May, Son Masayoshi showed investors slides of unicorns, private firms valued at over $1 billion, falling head over hoof into the valley of the coronavirus. He hoped some would sprout wings and rebound. The beasts had produced a disastrous quarter ending on March 31st. Overall, SoftBank reported the worst annual results in its history, a net loss of $9 billion, with the unicorn-filled Vision Fund producing nearly $17 billion of red ink. Alarmed, Mr. Son in March announced $41 billion of asset sales to cut debt and fund share buybacks worth $18 billion. He has since got lucky. Tech stocks have shot up. SoftBank's share price has soared to a two-decade high, 
but it is less the unicorns than the buybacks that are the real wings for SoftBank. 1.5 trillion yen, 14.3 billion dollars of them are still to come. Dictator in the dock, Omar al-Bashir. Sudan's former dictator was clear about how to handle enemies. After seizing power in 1989, Omar al-Bashir warned that the renegades would not deserve the honor of living. Today, the general who was toppled last year will appear in court in Khartoum to stand trial on capital offenses for the coup he led. His lawyers claim the case is political. As important as his trial at home may be another one forthcoming in the International Criminal Court which indicted him for crimes against humanity and genocide in Darfur. His defiance of the ICC, as well as his travel to countries such as South Africa that then flouted their duty to arrest him, undermined that court's authority. But there is growing hope that Sudan's interim government will extradite him to The Hague. That move would go a long way towards ending the impunity felt by despots across the world. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Andrew Carnegie, who died on this day in 1919. Watch the costs and the profits take care of themselves. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.